Let me get into it. Let me get into it this morning. I got a lot of ground to cover in the next few minutes. Acts chapter 2, Holy Ghost headquarters. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound. Everybody shout a sound. I said, everybody shout a sound. There came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Now listen, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, when this sound occurred, when this sound occurred, not even at when they got in unity, that birthed it. But I'm talking about what happened to bring the people to where they were at. There was a sound. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. Now, you got to understand a couple of things before I go any further. This is just the intro to my intro. It is this. When the Bible says they were in one mind and one accord, that's talking about the 120. That's unity. They came together in unity. But when you read the people coming together, they were not coming together in unity. They were being drawn by the sound of unity. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. They were being drawn by the sound of unity. They were not in unity. I'll show you how I know that in just a minute. Because the Bible says they, were, they came together and they were what? Confused. They were confused. They knew something was drawing them. Something was happening. Something that they couldn't deny. They needed to check it out. Something different than what they were associated with that was religious. Come on, y'all hear me. They couldn't get away from it. Something was drawing them. But when they saw it, they were confused. Why were they confused? For many reasons, but watch this. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. So when the 120 were praying in the Holy Ghost, all these nations that started being drawn to this sound were confused because they was watching the mouths of the people speak or they were hearing it coming out of the upper room and it was Galilean people that they knew most of them were uneducated and could not speak probably even in any other language, let alone fluent in every language that was in Jerusalem at that time. But every single nationality could hear them speaking in their own language. Are y'all with me, church? It says, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Look, are these not all who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language of which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappuccino, Pontus, and Asia. I'll just check and see if y'all were listening. Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, Blunt County. Walker County, even Walker County, Jesus help us. It says, they said the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabs, 
Listen to what they said. We hear them speaking our own tongues. Here's what they're speaking. The wonderful works of God. They hear them speaking the wonderful works of God. Now, now there's a reason why I'm reading this. Watch this. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of what? They're full of what? You need to underline that in your Bible. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose. Since this is only the third hour of the day, but this is what or that the prophet Joel spoke of. Now, there's a lot in there. There's a lot going on, y'all. We think the only thing going on is somebody got up there and they had 121 people. And they kept praying for unity, and they couldn't get in that one guy, that one lady, whoever she was. How many of you don't want to be that one in, in eternity? That maybe, praise God, maybe they still made it to heaven, but when they get up there, they'll be like, you made it? You, when you left, that's when the Holy Ghost fell. Because at some point, it had to get down to 120. Now, we preach as Pentecostals, Charismatics. We love to preach from this because we love to preach about speaking in tongues. We love to preach about the power of the Holy Ghost, and I'm not ashamed to preach on the power of the Holy Ghost. But we are missing the big picture. Somebody shout the big picture. We are missing the fulfillment of that moment was not just the establishment of the church. It was not just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was the literal fulfillment, and it was it was uh, illumination to many people who were in Jerusalem who knew in depth the prophecy of Joel. They knew the prophecy of Joel. The Joel's letter was one of the most well-known, quoted, not just by the priests, but most, most Jewish just believers and Jewish people could quote the book of Joel, what we call the book of Joel, which was a letter, a document that he wrote. Word for word. Why? Because it was a, if you go back and read Joel, it's about end times, but more than that, it's about restoration of Israel. It's about, it's about healing. It's about all kinds of things that they desire in their life. Are you hearing me? He says, I want everybody to understand something. Don't misconstrue this moment. Let me draw your mind back and your attention back to the prophet Joel. He says, then he goes on to, to quote, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of, that in the last days I'll pour out my, own, my, my spirit on all flesh. You with me, church? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I wish I had a church that would help me preach. Now, so let's go back to Joel. Joel chapter 1, we'll put it up on the screen. You ain't got to flip back there unless you want to. Joel chapter 1, it says this. The word of the Lord came to Joel. Now, let's keep in mind, Peter says, if you want to understand what's happening here, 
you need to go back to the book of Joel. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Somebody shout, you elders. And give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your father? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Starts off pretty rough. He says, here's the condition of the world in which you live. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. In other words, every single evidence of any joy, any life that you had left has not just been attacked, it has been eliminated. One attacks the leaf, one attacks the branch, one attacks the bark, and one attacks the root system, the base, till it kills it. There is no evidence that you even existed. There is no evidence that you were ever anointed. There's no evidence that you were ever called to preach the gospel. There's no evidence that you were ever in love with your spouse. There's no evidence that your children ever respected you. But here's the problem. We don't walk by what we see. Here's why it looks that way to you. You have allowed the world to lull you to sleep. And you are drinking of a wine that you were never intended to drink from. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine. Because of the new wine, it has been cut off from your mouth. In other words, the days of you drinking what you used to drink that put you in the mess that you're in are over. There's a new wine that's still going to allow you to see things and hear things how many of us, when you get drunk, you see things nobody else can see? You hear things that nobody else can hear. And I'll tell you something else, when you get drunk, you believe you can whoop anybody. You get, I mean, you're like, what'd you say to me? And you'd be like 90 pounds. And Hulk Hogan be at the bar just turning. Yeah, I don't say nothing to you, man. Don't, don't, you, you, don't, you don't want no trouble with me. Oh, I want some trouble with you. I saw you, huh? You think you, and that's when you start to snap and you start to go and you start going in. You st I mean, so in other words, Peter didn't say they wasn't drunk. They're just not drunk like you suppose. They were drunk drinking the wine of the old wineskin. But there's a new wine that allows you to look at your situations completely different. But notice there had to come a shaking. See, it says, it says the first thing he called out was the elders. Well, that don't just mean the elders of a church in title, but it does. 
but it means people who have been faithfully serving God, who have been in the fire. And you got a new fire and a new group of a new generation is trying to hunger. They're hungry for God and they don't know how to live for God. So they're looking for someone to be an example and to and to serve them the wine that they should be drinking from. So we're looking for them. Where are they? Where are the elders? Where are the men and the women of God? They are asleep. They are asleep and they are drunk on their own selfishness and their own things that they've worked to to develop for themselves or they're drunk in depression because the things that they asked for didn't happen, so therefore they wash their hands of the responsibility that has been put on their life. My God, I'm preaching. It starts with the... Listen, when you're under attack, when you're in a war... Do you think when the, when the general, when the commander of the forces that is against you, that is fighting against you, and they're meeting together and they're mapping out a strategy, hey, can you ever imagine ever your enemy ever? I'm talking about the commander of all the forces that are against you coming together in the tent in the battlefield, laying out a map, and says this, I want to know where all the privates are. Because what we need to do is I want to first kill all the ones that just got out of boot camp. Because if I kill them first, then the generals are going to be scared. Are you kidding me? Nobody. They want to, listen, they got a strategy of different strongholds. But if anybody speaks up, if there's five places that they were about to bomb, and anybody speaks up and says, sir, with all, excuse me to interrupt you, but we have intelligence that I think you need to know. What's the intelligence? We have intelligence to know that in bunker number three, there is a five-star general. He's the commander of the entire battalion, that, of the whole fleet that we're about to fight. There's, there's leaders in the other four, but in, but in bunker three, Tent three, whatever you want to call it, we have intelligence to say that the commander of the entire host of the army is in that one. Who do you think they are going to send the drone after first? The air support first. They're not. Nobody's going to speak up and say, "Man, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. We'll get to him. We got to stick to the plan." Let's just bomb all around him, and if we end up getting him, we'll get him. No, the devil comes after the pastor. The devil comes after the the preacher. The devil comes after the elders. If he can put us to sleep, if he can cause us to wash our hands, if he can cause us to give up, then the rest of us, the rest of the people in the body of Christ who are saying, man, all I know is I gave my life to Jesus. Where do I go from here? They have no one to help them. See, locusts, the whole thing about the locusts, the, the, the swarm, and then just boom, when whatever was left of the first one, oh, I got a little bit left, the next one comes in and takes out. Well, I got a little bit of that one left, boom, come on. The enemy is relentless. Do you need to know this about the enemy? Just because you're walking in victory doesn't mean that he is not plotting his next attack. 
He is relentless. As long as you are breathing, the devil wants to take you out. Jesus told us his purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what these locusts did. Locusts do not attack something that's dead. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. A locust attack what is alive and living. I hate to say this, and I say this with respect. There's a lot of churches, some of them big churches. The devil ain't even worried about them. They ain't preached Jesus in so long that that preacher wouldn't even know how to preach Jesus. They've ex- they, don't, they don't believe in hell anymore. They don't believe in judgment. They don't preach on sin. They don't have anybody in the altars. They don't believe in praise and worship. They don't believe this is how I fight our battles. It's everything is ritualistic. It's become a business. And I got news for you. There ain't no locusts flying in that house. Because locusts do not attack something that's already dead. It attacks what is growing. That's why you are under attack. The devil came after you because the devil sees your potential. Oh, my God, I'm preaching better than my church is shouting. Joel chapter 2 goes on to say, he lays out the condition of a nation. I believe he prophetically lays out a condition of many people in this room. I've been in this condition multiple times in my life. But he says, but here's the thing. Get up. Get up, elders. Get up. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Zion is calling me to a higher place of praise. Zion is the highest place of Mount Moriah. It is the highest point of praise. Blow the trumpet in high praise. And then I love this next part because this is, this is the end of my introduction. Sound an alarm. Sound an alarm. Not, not sound an alarm in the, in the destitute valley of the heathens and atheists, but sound the alarm in my holy mountain. The ones I need to wake up are the ones that are in church. The trumpet is blowing. The alarm is sounding, not for those that don't believe, but for those that are in Zion. We are asleep. The church. Turn that TV on. Spend hours and hours and hours watching the condition of the world, which, by the way, what you're seeing is not even real. It's not even really the condition of the world. But they want to make you, make the devils and make you look like all hope is lost. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. What land? Jerusalem. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Whew. Verse 15. There it is again. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Where? Zion, where? Zion is the church. Consecrate a fast in the church. Call a sacred assembly in the church. Gather the people in the church. Sanctify the congregations. Sanctify the church. 
Would to God you'd hear a preacher preach on sanctification and holiness again. Oh, I know we abused it. I know we turned it into to makeup and jewelry and all that kind of garbage that some of us was raised in. I say garbage. I mean respect, okay? I mean this. I mean it was ill-intended. They didn't realize they were taught that way. They thought that holiness was all about an outward thing. But at least, at least, at least they were not giving their lives into the ways that the church is today. My God, they might have been judgmental and legalistic, but at least you knew where they stood with God most of the time. Nowadays, the church has become so worldly and the world has become so churchy, we can't tell them apart. Sanctify the congregation. There was a day when we respected the house of God. Nowadays, people, there are people, listen to me. I mean this in a loving way, but I got to say it. They are people that have left this church because they couldn't bring coffee in the sanctuary. They have literally said that. What kind of welcoming church will not let me bring my coffee in the sanctuary? So they left and went and found a church that they could drink coffee in. Can I tell you something? I ain't got no problem with you drinking coffee in the sanctuary. But guess what? When you spill it, you ain't the one that has to clean it up. If we didn't have carpet in here, it'd be different. But how about this? How about instead of trying to find a church that will let you drink coffee, eat popcorn, and, and, and do whatever you want to do in the house of God? And I'm not saying you can't do that ever. I'm just saying, how about that not be at the top of your list when you're trying to find a congregation? How about it be, do they preach the Word of God? Do they preach the Word of God? How about that? How about that? Do they call people to the altars? Are people being saved? How about that one? Thank you, sir. Assemble the elders. They keep coming back to them elders, don't they? Then he says, gather the children. Oh, watch this. And the nursing baby. He says, what I want to do, I want to do for the elders. I want to do for the adults. I want to do for the teenagers. I want to all the way down. I want to do it for the babies and the nursery. God is no respecter of prayer. You don't believe God can move on a nursery baby? You ain't never had a one-and-a-half or a two-year-old baby that can barely walk lay their hands on you and say, Jesus. Huh? I remember I had a splitting headache one time in our little house in Trafford, Alabama. My little two-year-old Lizzie walked up to me, said, Daddy, Daddy, pray. She saw me hurt. I saw she touched me on top of my head, and she just said, Jesus. And I'm talking about you in, in an instant. My headache was gone away. Don't tell me. How old was she when we came back from Double Portion Church filled with the Holy Ghost? Two or two and a half years old, she stood up on a pew when she was two and a half years old in a church down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave her utterance, and nobody told her to do it. Nobody even knew that she was even doing it. She was down there by herself praying in the Spirit, and we was coming home, all the way home, she was praying in the Holy Spirit. We was like, what are you saying back there? And she couldn't even stop praying in the Holy Spirit, and she wasn't even three years old. Don't tell me. Don't tell 
Well, bless God, I'm not going to force nothing on my kids. I'm going to let them get to the age where they make a decision on themselves. Well, that's good news. That's, that's a good idea. But how about this? They probably ain't going to make the decision if you don't bring them to church. Huh? If you ain't bringing them to church, I got news for you. They ain't going to decide to serve Jesus. I ain't playing with y'all. Gather the children in the nursery. I, I got to get done, man, because I got something really powerful at the end of this message. And I got to get there. Let the bridegroom go from his chamber. Let the bride from her dressing room. In other words, interrupt the wedding. What I want to do is more important than the wedding. Tell them to get out and get out here. They'll go back to that, but they'll go back better. Go get the bridegroom out of her chamber. Go get the bride from the dressing room. Let the priest, the Levites, the praise and worship team who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. I got pastor friends that cannot believe that our church is volunteer. That not a single musician is paid. Now the musicians be like, well, this show will be nice. I understand that. I understand that. But you know what? And I'm not saying what will happen in the future, but I'm telling you right now, I'm thankful that I got a church of people that praise and worship musicians and singers are up here because they love Jesus and not because it's some gig. Oh, come on, give him praise. Breaks my heart when you drive by a church and they got on the sign, we don't have a piano player. We'll pay you. Please come and play for us. But how about this? The most difficult group of people that most pastors have to deal with is their praise team. Because they're full, they're so talented, they've been told how great they were all their life. Them egos. Hey, by the way, Lucifer was a praise and worship leader. Look what happened to him. Would to God that we would have praise and worship leaders that before the lights were turned on, before the doors was open, before the live stream camera was on, before anybody never even knew their name or that they was ever a part of the team, that they were on their face weeping before God. Like I saw last week when I saw praise team members and leaders on their face in these altars weeping before the presence of God. That's where revival is birthed. See, do you see the pattern here? It talks about the calamity. When calamity happens, when things are destroyed and it looks impossible, God calls on the mighty men and women of God to step up and to wake up. God is calling a solemn assembly in the church. God is calling us back to the altar. It's time for us to get back to weeping and mourning over the condition of our world. It's time for the mighty men of God to step up and lead us. It's time for their years of experience to teach us and to mentor us. See, the prophet tells us, in order for full restoration to happen, we can't do it alone. We need to reignite the generals. We need to wake up the generals. Joel 2, 25 tells us this is what will happen. 
So when you wake them up, when they all come together in the solemn assembly and everybody's in unity, notice he calls everybody to the same place, to, the, to one place. He even tells them, bring the nursery babies in, right? Look at the similarity. Look at the pattern. He gathered them all into one place. He said, wake up, everybody. Get on the same page. Get in one accord. Sound familiar? He says, when this happens, now and prophetically in the future, this is what will happen. He was speaking to a natural attack, but he's also speaking to a spiritual attack. Verse 25, so I will restore, somebody shout restore, restore to you the years. See, some of y'all feel like you have lost a decade because of the hell you've been through. God said he will restore you the years that you have lost. Do you understand you can live seven years of joy in one year when you're walking in the joy of the Lord? Huh? You ever heard anybody say this? You might have said it yourself. You know what? I feel I, feel I got more energy in my 40s than I did in my 20s. Some of you are like, uh, no, never said that. I got news for you. I am as out of shape as I've been in 10 years, but I'm 51 years old, and I got news for you. I don't feel 51. Huh? Oh, I'm a pawpaw and proud of it. But that don't mean I'm some old man that's about to shut down. Honey, I am just now getting started. I am just now beginning to see what all the other crap I've had to go through all the years has prepared me for. I'm talking about the next nine years, by the time I get 60, I'm going to see God do more in my life than I saw him do in the first 50. Why can't you believe that for yourself? You're still breathing. I'll restore to you the years that the low. Watch this. Watch how he goes back and makes sure that he names every wave of attack. I'll restore to years that the swarming locusts had eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts. He goes back and says, see, the reason he listed all four is because he knows me and you. Oh, I see how you restored the swarming locusts, what they took. You restored the crawling locusts. You restored the chewing locusts. But I got news for you. You didn't restore the consuming locusts. We find the negative. He'll restore three different attacks Three different locust attacks. Leave one out, and that's all we'll talk about is the one he didn't do. Being a service where ten people are healed, deaf ears, back straightened, arms, shoulders healed, and God didn't give you your healing that night, and all you're going to talk about and all you're going to think about going home is you didn't get your healing, and you ain't going to praise God for none of the other ten that got their healing. You say, well, how can I pray? Listen, what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Sometimes your healing, sometimes your blessing is tied to how you rejoice when you see somebody else get blessed. No, but you made it all about you. Y'all coming back next Sunday? Everything was taken. Everything that was taken 
when we all come together, we'll be restored. But ain't it awesome how he makes a point to start everything out by saying, wake up the elders. Because those are the ones that have something. They have been through some stuff that we can't go through what's coming without the knowledge from those that have been where we're going. But you know why the church is so dead? You know why the church is not seeing miracles like they used to be? Because we've bought into the Instagram and the YouTube lie that the only way a church can be effective in this generation is we've got to make it appealing to only kids. Now watch this. I'm talking about true generals don't have to hear their style of music to go there. That's not what I'm saying. True generals may not like the lights and the smoke and all these other things that you see in churches, but that don't stop them from coming because they're excited that you're reaching another generation. They are, they, true generals are excited that you are investing in the young people now and in the future. That's all great. But at some point, we can't keep expecting them to buy into what we're doing and never, ever seek them to be involved. Are you hearing me? We have raised a generation of kids who look down at the elderly instead of respect them. Make fun of them and mock them instead of desiring to learn from them. Now, some of it is the elders' fault because of how they've been acting. Some kids are more spiritually mature than the elders. And I'm talking about elders. I mean people like me, people like you, people who are been in the way for a long time. Some of y'all say, I've been in the way for 20 years. Well, the problem is you need to get out of the way. You've been in, God, you've been in God's way trying to move in your life, get out of the way and get in the true way. It's 1134 if you're taking medicine. Now make sure you want to make sure you take your pill. So when all that happens, when all that happens, when the, when the elders wake up, when the Levites and the, and the priests weep between the ports of the altar, when the young people, the nursery babies, the adults, we all come together, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now do you see what Peter was speaking to? Peter was not speaking to, whoa, we got a new wave of anointing. Take it, take it, take it. <sighs> no, he was speaking to a generation who had been who has a history of being taken into bondage by the Babylonians and, and the Persians. 
Not one after the other after the other. And now we're in absolute persecution from the Roman Empire. Every semblance of the favor of God that was on a nation that stood between mountains and a Red Sea and saw God part the Red Sea and they walked over on dry land. Those had only become dusty, dry stories. There was no one in Jerusalem walking in that power anymore. Am I preaching good? All they knew about that is what their daddy or their granddaddy told them before he died. In fact, the book of Malachi, which is the last book of your Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is not all in chronological order, but Malachi is. Malachi is chronologically the last Old Testament book that was written. And the last thing that he talks, he, he begins to talk about, you know, your tithes, by the way. How many knows if God's, God's going to know he's about to shut the heavens up and he talks about tithes, you, you, that's pretty important. So you ought to be paying your tithe. But he talks about in the last days you'll know that something's happening when I, when I will begin to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. And then he goes on and says a couple more verses, then the book is closed. It is at that moment they call theological seminaries and schools, they call that the silent years. Because there is no historical document, religious or secular, that records God speaking to a prophet at all, not even one, from Malachi to John the Baptist. Now, there is a discrepancy. It's at least 300 years. Most believe 400. There are some that say it could even be upwards of 600 years. So, Let's go on the low end, 300 years. In 300 years, by that time, there was no Methuselah. Like a, the, the lifespan was much shorter than it used to be because of the disease and so forth. So most people probably lived to be 50, 60 at the most. So in 300 years, think of how many generations had died. Think about how many generations that were born lived their whole life to an old man and died and never knew of a prophet. Never heard God speak a rhema word, not one. All they had was stories. All they had was people quoting the prophets. So when Peter stood up, he realized he was talking for himself and to a generation of people, no matter who they were, who had never seen the restorative power upon, move upon a people like what was about to happen. But he knew that they knew this from Joel. So when he quoted that, it called them back to that moment. It was not just a moment of speaking in tongues. It was not just a moment of fire being on top of their heads. Oh, that's amazing. It was a wake-up to the church. 
was an alarm. It was a trumpet blowing in Zion. See, he goes on to say in chapter 3 of Joel, verse 9, Proclaim you among the nations. Prepare for war. What's the next thing? Wake up, the mighty men. Five words. Let's say it all together. One, two, three. Say it. Wake up, the mighty men. Let's say it again. Wake up, the mighty men. Do you understand? I don't say that I have to say this, but also means women. Some of y'all be like, well, bless God, what about us ladies? You don't think we can be mighty? <laughs> Come on. Of course. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up, beat their plowshares into swords, the pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Oh, come on, somebody. Assemble and come, all ye nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty one, cause your mighty ones to go down there, oh Lord. Wake up, the mighty men. Wake up the generals. Reignite the generals. Some of them are 60, 70, 80 years old. They don't get around like they used to get around unless they're like Mac. They don't get around. They don't, they're not able to bend down and get up like they used to. But at least they still bend down. Some of them feel like they've been forsaken. But you know, I'm going to tell you something. I remember when we went to Panama. Oh, Charlotte will remember this. When I was in my room the night before we went out, I was in there and I was praying. Me and this other guy that was my roommate, my good friend, Eric Cote uh, from, from Canada. And, and we, were, we were praying and God showed me a vision. He showed me a vision of, a, of an old woman. And she was a, she was a Panamanian woman. And she was, she was on her knees. And she was crying out to God. She was by herself. And she was walking through the jungles. She'd walk through the jungles. Then she'd get down on her knees. And she would cry out. And she would say, how long, God? How long till you send the revival to my nation? How long, God, till you hear my prayers? No one else hears me. How long, God, will you do take, make me wait? And I told that to our roommate that night. I said, I just saw a vision. It's very, very seldom this ever happened in my life. I just saw a vision. I described it to him in detail. When I got into the van that next day, I was a team leader. Charlotte was one of our team members. Um, Michaela and some others were our team members. And we were in that van. And, and we're in this van, and I said, i got to tell you all this vision that I saw last night. And I began to tell them the vision of this woman crying out, how long, God, by herself, walking the jungles by herself, how long, how long, how long. And I just, I didn't know what that meant. I thought it was corporately, just a nation. The last day of ministry, we were going into this town, and we were bringing these water filters. And as we were bringing these water filters, I saw this woman, this older, old Panamanian woman. She came up, and she was one of the pastors of the area, and she was learning how to filter the water. And I, I didn't think nothing about it. So we went on. 
So it starts drizzling a little bit, raining, and we start walking down the streets on the shore, the seashore, just walking up to people and ministering to them. And as we're just about, it starts thundering and lightning. And as a team member, i got to think about the safety of my team. And I'm thinking, we got to get in the van. And I'm telling you, just before we got in the van, that woman that was at that, uh, that earlier outreach just happened to pop up on the other side of our van and say, praise the Lord, how are y'all? And we begin to talk to her. And we begin to realize, we, as we were talking, she said, can you pray for me before you go? Can you pray for me and my church? I'm a pastor, and this is my little church right here. We was like, oh, yeah, I looked at our team. I said, hey, guys, let's go in there. Let's go in there. Let's go inside and bless the church. So we go inside, and we're going inside this little room, and I'm telling you, the whole sanctuary was about the size of this stage extension. She had this little pulpit there, and, and it was so hot. It was unbelievably hot. We walked in there, and we, we were just talking to her small talk. We're getting ready to leave, and she said, will you bless us? So we got down on our knees, and as we got in a circle, just our little team was in our, on our knees, and we was praying. And as we were praying, and I was, I was, we were all getting in the spirit, all of a sudden opened up my eyes, and I looked at her, and I realized. I started going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, because she started praying, and she started speaking things, and then all of a sudden the team started, because they had known, they realized. But he said, I have walked this jungle by myself for years saying, God, when are you ever going to hear me? God, when are you ever going to hear me? And she said, today God sent you from America to, to encourage me and to bring revival to my village. Let me tell you something. God sees the generals in the middle of the jungles when nobody even knows their name or knows they exist and they're crying out to God, we need more people like that woman. Fifteen minutes. Here we go. So I had my sermon done. Everything I preached to you was most of my message. And like what's been happening lately, I got up this morning and told my wife last night, I said, I know the Lord's going to tell me something in the morning about Sunday. He always does. So I'm, I'm in there by myself this morning, meditating, praying over today. And I just heard the Lord say this to me. Do you know what happens in the body when the body wakes up? I thought he meant the body of Christ. So as I prayed a little bit long, he said, no, 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 no. Do you know what happens in your body physically when you wake up? Do you know the process of how you wake up? And I remember saying to the Lord, well, Lord, I've never thought about that. So I Googled it. And all I'm going to do is read you. What this doctor said. He says, the process of waking up, this is all physical, has nothing to do, this man, probably, I don't know whether he's a Christian or not, but it's just a, a science, science, scientist, doctor. Science! He's somebody in a lab coat, probably. He says this, in the hour or so before awakening, the body starts to rev up and prepare for more activity. 
the body internally begins to stir. See, I'm going to break this down very quickly. I'm going to tell you that what happens in the body, God tells us he gives us the natural to teach us spiritual principles. So I want you to understand how the body wakes up is how we wake up. Are you ready? You can sense a stirring. Do you feel that? Do you feel like there's just something being revved up in this house? Now listen, I'm just reading it verbatim. The body temperature starts to rise. Having reached its lowest, safest level near the end of the sleep period. In other words, you are your coldest and your deadest to the world right before you begin to wake up. Listen, once again verbatim. The blood pressure increases and increases serum levels, and a lot of this stuff I have no idea what it is, of ACTH and cortisol. He says this is why so many heart attacks are more common in the morning because of the elevated blood pressure, serum levels of ACTH and cortisol. In other words, your body begins to tell you the end of the sleep period is over. The pressure is rising. That's my words. You'll know when you're about to have a new wave of God in your life when the pressure starts rising. Oh, y'all ain't here. Back to Google. Waking up involves changes in brain chemical levels and the activity of certain neurons. Now, there was they listed every one of them neurons. I deleted it from my outline because I said, ain't happening. Can't read them. Go search it yourself. It was something like Ishalaman and Mushamese. In other words, waking up involves activity. You begin to sense that activity is happening. Things are changing, and you're being prepared. This is all still before you wake up. Now listen to this. This I thought this was amazing. I'm almost done. And there again, I'm reading verbatim again. These are not my words. In the absence of an alarm or artificial awakening, the end of sleep often happens on its own after a REM, REM, we know what that means, random eye movement, deep sleep, your deepest sleep, period, which is sometimes results in memorable dreams. He goes on to say that when we wake up on our own naturally, we tend to remember our dreams more than when we are awakened immediately. So here's my words now. So when you are in REM sleep, you don't wake up without an alarm. When you are in deep sleep, you will never wake up on your own. You have to wait until you're about to fall over the building and almost ready to crash, and then you wake up. You have to wait until REM is through storing your body or a natural thing happens. 
But when you are in your deepest form of sleep, you will never awaken on your own. Realm sleep is when memorable dreams happen. The old men and women, this is what Joel is talking about, have been in a deep sleep because we have locked them in a quiet, dark room and said, you know what, we still love you, but we need you back there out of the way because you're scaring off the young people. And we have put them in a room, and if you're in a room long enough and the lights are out and the music is playing, you're going to fall asleep and you're going to begin to think things like, I don't even matter anymore, I'm not worth it anymore. So how many of those, you ever been so depressed, you ever felt so lonely that you just wanted to go to bed and go to sleep? Just pull the covers up over your head? And just lock the world out. That's how we've treated our elders. So they say, well, if that's the case, I'm just going to sleep. But if you're sleeping, you ain't dead. Y'all get that later. The generals have been in a deep sleep. But remember, when you're in a deep sleep, that's when you have the dreams. That's when you have the dreams that you'll never forget. That's when you wake up, you'll know exactly what you dream. And Joel said, your old men shall dream dreams. But they're not going to die with those dreams. When they wake up, they're going to know exactly what they meant. The generals have been dreaming. We need to hear those dreams. Wake them up. Sound the alarm. Because when you're in a deep sleep, you never wake up on your own. But we need some young men <laughs> seeing visions going, where's the, where's the elders? Where's the elders? Well, they're asleep. Well, my God, somebody wake them up. Ooh, seven minutes. Seven minutes till you get to eat that barbecue or whatever. Google again. If a person is forced out of a deep sleep, something called sleep inertia can be had. Sleep inertia is you don't really realize if you're in this world or out of that world. You ever woke up sometimes out of something loud jarred you when you were in a deep sleep and you'd be like, where am I? I'm telling you right now, there is a generation that is about to be wake, awoke, waking up, and they're, they're thinking to themselves, my God, I thought this was over. I, I thought the days of Holy Ghost was done. Where am I? Am I back in when I was a kid? Oh, my Lord, the Holy Ghost is still moving. Am I going to heaven or am I still here? Back to Google. Physically getting out of bed when awakened from a deep sleep or any sleep, further enforces the body's awakeness. See, you didn't get it when I said it, so you're going to get it this time. He said, just because you wake up, you still need to get out of the bed. He says, the, the, this is what his doctor said, simply the physical act of getting out of bed I know some of you don't believe that because you're still like a zombie. Because you ain't had your coffee, you ain't done all the things you have to do in the morning before you can get going. But the reality is this. 
if you didn't get out of the bed, none of it would have happened. So when you force your body to sit up and get out of the bed, it begins to reinforce sleep is over. So some of you are awake. How about this? Some of you are woke. But you're still sleeping in the bed of the world. I don't know about you, when I wake up, if I don't get up, I'm going back to sleep. See, you got to get up. You got to get about your business. Take a shower. Drink some coffee. Slap some cold water on your face. Get out of bed. Clap your neighbor and tell him, wake up. Get out of bed. My last point, I'm through. Now watch this. This is, this is the doctor again. Once you are awake, the brain, listen to this, is bombarded with stimuli from the environment around you and from within the body. Waking up is just the beginning. You begin to do something. You get busy about the kingdom. Listen, y'all. If you, are, if you have a job where you are home during the day or, or, or work at home or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or maybe you work night shift and you're home during the day, can I help you? Do not spend your day that you are awake watching soap operas and Netflix and learning how to get a lawyer if you had a wreck. Apparently, if you watch the news in the morning, the number one occupation in Birmingham is having a wreck. I'm telling you, it seems like the entire population of Birmingham has been run over by an 18-wheeler. I'm like, I'm like, I know this happens. I don't know anybody's ever been run over by an 18-wheeler. I know it happens. Some of y'all, you know, I'm telling you, I watch that in the morning before I get going tonight. I'm like, there ain't no wonder that, that we got a lazy generation. Why do I need to get up and go to work? All I need to do is just pray that somebody runs into me today. Huh? Then I'm set. I remember that one commercial they had a while I ain't seen in a while. They'd say, They'd, be a, they'd literally be a commercial of people standing in front of a wrecked car and saying, here's my wreck and here's my check. How many members that one? Here's my wreck. Here's what I want to say. Devil wreaked your life. Devil messed you up. Devil attacked you. Call me, Solid Rock. I got the answer. I got the answer. Call me, Solid Rock. Call me up. I'll tell you what you need. Don't waste your awake time. Did you hear me? Don't waste your awake time. If you're awake, do something. 
last thing that I want to tell you that doctor said. I hope I can read it right. He says, once you get up, once you do the things that you do to wake yourself up and you're awake, and your body knows, okay, he's not going back to bed. She's not going back to bed. She's going to do something. This is what I, I quote. A homeostatic mechanism built into your body kicks in at that moment. And the waking brain keeps itself awake. In other words, at some point every morning or every evening, depending on your shift, when you wake up from a sleep, at some point your body kicks in and says, okay, for a while there I was wondering, was he awake? Was she awake? Going back to bed, watch a few shows, go to sleep? No. We see evidence that they're going about their day then the body releases chemicals. The brain releases chemicals to the rest of the body and begins to tell all the organs, all the muscles, it's time to operate in woke mode until it's time to go to sleep again and be restored. See, the difference between the natural, the natural body has to have sleep. The spirit man does not. The spirit man has to have rest. You ever slept and felt like you didn't get any rest? Let me tell you something. The spirit man has to be restored. Rest in the Lord. So while your body's asleep, your spirit man is still wide awake. <sighs> Hallelujah. Oh, God. If you're here today and you say, man, I've been asleep at the wheel for too long. See, so watch what happens. When, when you get up, when you wake up, but you've not allowed yourself to adequately get the rest that you needed, you put other people in danger. Because your body is going to go to sleep. But sometimes, unfortunately, it goes to sleep behind the wheel. Sometimes you get fired because you fell asleep at work because you've chosen other things to stay up and watch and do in the hours that your body needed rest, that your spirit man needed rest. And now you're paying for it in the natural. I think that's what's happened to the church. Is if we've not spent adequate enough time with God to let him restore us and keep us and to feed us and to anoint us, now we're causing harm to others. We get angry. We lash out. You ever dealt with somebody that hadn't slept in two days? It's, it's literally like they're possessed with the devil. I'm not kidding. It's like they'll manifest. They'll slobber. They'll throw things at you. They'll want to kill you. Literally, they want to kill you. I've dealt with them. I prayed for somebody one time that hadn't slept in a week in three days. And I'm telling you right now, not in three solid days and I slept a week. And you would have thought, I'm not being funny here, you would have thought they would have been possessed by a thousand demons. The things they were saying, the things they were doing, they were threatening my life. People that I love, when they got, when they finally went to sleep, 
They were broken, crying, begging my forgiveness. I'm like, listen, it's okay. I knew there wasn't you. Because you didn't, you didn't let happen what, what needed to happen. I'm just going to step back and I'm just going to say, some of y'all, the Lord's been dealing with during this message, during your life, you need to wake up. You've allowed the world to lull you to sleep. You need to wake up. The way you wake up is you come through repentance. You come through a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So I know I'm over 12 o'clock. But we're at Solid Rock Church, and we believe in the altar. And we believe in people's lives being changed. And I believe the word of God shall not come back void, but shall establish that which it set out to do. Amen. Amen. So if that's you, there's always who, the bravest one. Who's going to be the first one to come and kneel? Just come on. Just come and find you a place. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer today. This is your time. Just come and find you a place to kneel. And begin to talk to God. Come on, give them, give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. This is big. This is big, y'all. This is big. This is big. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, I know it ain't just them. Come on, come on. They're still coming. I know it ain't just them. My God, are you so asleep you can't realize? I'm trying to sound an alarm right now. I'm trying to forcibly wake you up. I'm trying to wake you up. Wake up. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Hallelujah! You know the Bible says He'll restore to you the joy of your salvation. If there's anybody here that says, you know what, I love the Lord, but I've lost the joy of my salvation. I'm calling you here to find you a place up here and come and kneel and just tell that to the Lord. Just say, Lord, wake me up and let me appreciate the joy, that the things that are around me. Instead of judging the things that are around me, God, I need to appreciate the things around me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. If anybody needs the joy of their salvation restored, I'm encouraging you to come to these altars now. Come to these altars. Come to these altars. Come to these altars. Restore the joy of our salvation, God. Restore the joy of our salvation. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, thank you, Father. 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 Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? give your heart to the Lord. Those that are up here, just begin to tell Jesus, Jesus, I give you everything. I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. Confess you today as my Lord and Savior. And I'm asking you today to restore to me the joy of my salvation. Wake me up. Wake me up to the condition of this world. Wake me up to the condition of my own life and my whole family created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. In the name of Jesus.
shake yourself. The time is at hand. There's no room for quitting. This is not the time for quitting. This is not the time for slumber. Awaken. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, today for everything that you have done in this house. We thank you for the lives that have been changed. We thank you for the word that has penetrated the hearts of the people. We thank you, Lord, for, the, for those that have come to this altar and cried out to you, God. We know the word of the Lord says the answers of the Lord are yes and amen. What, you have, what they have asked of you, the answers of the Lord are yes and amen. Wake us up, God. Wake us up. Help us to shake ourselves of the things that we're going through right now so that we can see this world clearly. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Can we give the Lord a praise right now? Can we give the Lord a praise? Come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Come on, come on. I didn't say give me praise. I said give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise for what he's done in this house. Give the Lord praise for what he's doing in this house. Awake, 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 awake. Wake up the mighty man. I'm waking you up. I'm blowing the trumpet in Zion. I'm sounding the alarm in the holy mountain of God. Let me tell you something. The world needs to hear these messages. I'm not saying it because I preached them. I'm not saying that to become famous or whatever. Forget that mess. I'm saying the world needs this message. So you need to share it. You need to invite people to watch it online. But more than anything, you need to bring people with you into this environment. You need to be, you need to wake up and realize, I need to every day be about the, the kingdom business. You need to bring people to this. Because you get them here, they will feel the presence of God. 